Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to the Lighthouse of Faith and Worship. Those of you who are listening online, I just want to welcome you into our congregation this morning. And I pray that the message that you hear this morning is encouraging, uplifting, corrective, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit means for this message to be, I pray that you would receive it and that it would enrich your life and it would point you to Jesus. Welcome. So let me start all over there. Sorry. So there's there's God's authority, there's his delegated authority, and there's usurped authority. And as I said, the usurped authority will get you tossed out. God's authority is absolute in the lives of believers. If his authority is not absolute in your life, there's rebellion in your life. Okay? It's because of his authority that we have the offer of salvation. Delegated authority is what God gives to the church. It's the means by which we as a group can act and accomplish God's will. Finally, there's that usurped authority again. This is the measure by which the enemy has used to run amok in families and loved ones, both inside and outside the church. The enemy has snuck in and taken keys to everything that is on loan to us from God, and he's caused nothing but problems. Usurped authority is rebellion. Samuel said it is as, the, it said as, it is as the, of the sin of witchcraft. Religion can't fix that. In fact, religion allows that spirit to dwell amongst it, right alongside it, unchallenged and unchanged. That's what religion does. Nothing. Your religion will do nothing in that situation. This morning, Jesus wants to come into the places of our worship through the Holy Spirit and remove all of it, everything that is unclean and uninvited. So before I go any further this morning, I want to stress something. I, I had to read what I wrote on Facebook to share with the sermon today because as I, I didn't put anything in my notes and, and the God was revealing that to me about authority. And we're going to touch on authority today in the sermon. We touched on authority a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the centurion, right? And he was addressing Jesus about, you know, hey, you don't have to come here and do it. You just say it and it'll happen because I am under authority just like you are under authority. And, you know, if I say to somebody, you go here or you go there or you do this or you do that, they go and do it. So I know that if you speak to this, it has to go. That's, that's my translation of that whole situation. Amen. So we serve a good God. And we serve a God who has set up an established authority. And um, based on how where this is going to go this morning, I want to stress something that I am by no means an expert on the subject. So I want to look today as more of a discussion on how Jesus handled something than how to actually do it. I've no, I, I, I have no experience with something of this nature, what we're going to see going on here. Um, and it's not the authority issue, it's the manifestation of the problem. I have no experience in this issue, so we're going to deal with how Jesus spoke to the issue and dealt with the issue more than the issue. Amen? Is that clear? Clear as mud? Shelley says, what's clear to me is clear to me. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so today's a sermon inside of a sermon, so to speak, and I don't know if I'll I'll get to the shell of it, but I want to deal with some of the nuts and bolts of, of, of what's going on in this week's sermon. I want to start off by saying there is no power in religion. Can I get an amen? amen? 
No power in religion. Religion never set anybody free. Religion never kept anyone clean. Religion never provided a way out or around the results of our sin. As I said, religion allows sin to live amongst it. Religion allows sin to run amok. Religion allows sin to have license to work in its atmosphere. But a relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't do that. Amen? In the New King James Version, it says in, in verse um, 21 and 22, uh, Mark chapter 1, it says, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. What's, he, what's that statement mean? He taught as one having authority. Not like the scribes. See, the scribes have the scribes didn't have any experience. Jesus had experience. He spoke from a position of experience, not a position of study, not a position of third hand, not as a position of I read a story about. He spoke from a position of I have seen, I have dealt, I have touched, I have healed, I have set free. That's where Jesus comes from. That's what Jesus is dealing with. That's how Jesus acts with the problem. Those scribes were religious. They'd heard about it, but they'd never experienced it. They'd never grabbed a hold of it. They'd never felt it in their hands. They'd never, they'd never had any tangible experience with it. They had an idealistic experience with what was going on. We're going to touch on that. You know, we can have church and we can set up worship and we can support ministries and we can effort to accomplish a lot of things as a church, can't we? But we become very ritualistic in trying to help and support people if our focus is not on the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. We can just be going through the motions. We can just be like that scribe. We can have all of the, the looks of a church. We can have all of the works of a church and still miss it. And in such cases, we become nothing more than a, than a community group of sorts. And what was going on here in the synagogue, the synagogue was a Hebrew place of worship. You see, there used to be one central temple. Once, first there was the tent of meeting and then became the, the temple in Jerusalem and there was one central place to go and, and work and worship and, and, and make your sacrifice. And then, as is the case, we started breaking up and this town had to have its synagogue and this town had to have its synagogue. And it was all in an effort to make things easier for the people. Now we have towns with multiple, not synagogues, but multiple churches. And the truth of the matter is, is we're all the church. And we all fall short of, of each other's standards. We all step on each other's toes. toes. We all make mistakes. We all do things that maybe somebody else doesn't agree with. And so what happens is we begin to form, quote-unquote, denominations. And we have a denomination of these people who allegedly, supposedly, all think the same way, all believe the same thing. And yet within that body, there's division. There's infighting. There's arguing. There's problems. So we, we have another division. That, de that denomination will split off and we'll have another denomination off of it. 
And, and you see the problem. The problem's people. The problem is a, is a, is a spirit of, of religion or what I think comes down to a usurped authority type of deal. I've got to have things my way. I'm going to make them happen. And if they don't happen my way, I'll leave and I'll go do something else somewhere else. Rather than coming under the authority of God, under the authority of the Holy Spirit who wants to... You know, he, we're going to talk about the things the Holy Spirit does. And one of the things he does is he brings unity. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings unity. He brings people together who otherwise would not share the same room, share the same space. Because when the Holy Spirit gets involved and he gets in your heart and he gets in your heart and he gets in your heart, my ideas may be one thing, but if we're listening and we're attentive to what the Holy Spirit wants to do, we will do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And if we don't, instead of being like this, we become like this. And this little guy out here, this little piggy right here, that's not a piggy, this little pinky, is rebellion. And pretty soon we, we fall apart. And, and if we're not careful, if this rebellion gets to be too bad, this rebellion will come in and want to pull another one away. And want to pull another one away. And pretty soon you have no unity whatsoever. And if you have no unity, I promise you the Holy Spirit is not evident. The Holy Spirit is not there. The Holy Spirit is not involved. No amens? Okay. So, Jesus shows up with his disciples at this place, at this synagogue. And he is not recognized as the rabbi. But he spoke as one with authority. Do you know why? Because when he walked in, he walked right up front, he grabbed the scrolls, and he started reading. He, he took charge. He didn't wait for somebody to say, here's your stamp. You've been to Pharisee school. You, you sat under Gamaliel like Paul did. Here's your stamp. What the, I like Sue told me this a long time ago because I used to wrestle with, 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 uh, with the fact that I, I, went, I didn't go to a brick-and-mortar Bible school. I went to Bible school at my kitchen table every night for three or four or five nights till very late in the morning for five years. And, and I wrestled, and I said, I remember having a conversation with Sue years ago, and I said, Sue, I just don't really feel like I'm a pastor because I, didn't go get, I don't have a diploma from a brick-and-mortar school. And she said, Tracy, God doesn't... What'd you say? How'd you say it? You remember? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. That, that's, that's a pearl of wisdom that she shared with me years ago. And I struggle with that every day. But I also know that God is making the way. Amen? God is making the way. Well, guess what? Jesus was qualified. And Jesus was called. He was anointed. He was the Messiah. That means anointed one. There's no taking that away, amen? God doesn't, God, God, God doesn't, you know, he is who he is. And so Jesus walked in and he grabbed the scroll and he began to teach and he began to instruct as one who had authority. That means he didn't have any doubt about what he was saying. He didn't struggle with the message. I hope this message doesn't hurt anybody's feelings today, Lord, because I don't want to have a split in the church. You know what? Jesus was up there speaking as one with authority. And when he spoke, you know what? He was probably saying, maybe there needs to be some division in this church. Maybe the wheat needs to be shucked out, or the, the tares need to be shucked out, and the, tar, the wheat needs to be able to grow and flourish. But we know later on that Jesus said to let the tares alone, because they'll show themselves later on. Amen? Right? Let the wheat grow up amongst the tares, because for a while they look the same, but later on, they're going to show themselves for who they are. There's a term for that in the community that I grew up in, and I can't say that term in church, but um, let's just say they're going to show themselves for who they are. 
maybe I could say it in a different church, but probably not. I, just, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's pulpit worthy, but the idea is. Um, sorry, I got off my notes. I just want to find myself again because I want to try to stay on track here. But um, we have to realize, realize that Jesus is our authority and the Holy Spirit is willing and able to work in our midst. Do you know that, church, this morning? The Holy Spirit desires to work in our midst. He desires to work in your life, not just in these four walls. He desires to work in your life in the grocery store, at the gas station, at work, with your kids, at school. No matter what the school says, you can talk about Jesus, can't talk about Jesus. At the hospital, the Holy Spirit wants to work. In your homes, as I said, the Holy Spirit desires to work. And when doesn't the Holy Spirit work? When we quench him, when we shut him down, when we doubt, when we don't step into faith. Because when we step in with faith, Holy Spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit gets excited. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Now we're going to do something. Finally, I've been waiting. You know, I just, I, I can't speak for the Holy Spirit, but I just wonder, you know, if that, is, that, is that what he's like? Oh my gosh, I've been waiting 30 years for this guy. And here he is. He's ready. Boy, I'm going to touch some lives now. It's on. It's on. Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> that's, my, that's Nate's name for the Holy Spirit sometimes. Jehovah Sneaky, because he'll sneak up on you. Amen? Uh, I read an article this week. Oh, first, let me say something. The Holy Spirit wants to do a work. Why is it so important that the Holy Spirit does a work? We worship Jesus because of who he is, what he's done. We worship God because of who he is and what he's done. But the truth of the matter is Jesus is not going to walk through those doors this morning. Amen? He's not. The next time Jesus comes to this planet, steps foot on this planet, it will be in judgment. If Jesus comes walking through the door, we got a problem. Well, some of us have a problem. So what we're looking for is we're looking for the Holy Spirit to, some people say, invade this place. But the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He doesn't twist our arm. You're going to do this today. Or, no, he's a gentleman. But man, we... I like how Nate says, we want the Holy Spirit to bomb this place. To, because when the Holy Spirit comes in and gets involved, everything gets shook up. Everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken, just like at the end. So we want the Holy Spirit to show up. And, and, but we have to understand that the Holy Spirit has authority. He has the same authority that Jesus has. He has the same authority that God has. And I think sometimes we get this idea that the Holy Spirit is somehow on a little bit different level. Oh, we just hope the Holy Spirit will show up to Invite Him. Invite Him into your life. Invite Him to work in your life. Invite Him to, to grab hold. Amen, and He will. He absolutely will. And I believe the Holy Spirit desires to teach. I read an article this week that got me thinking. Uh, it's by a reverend. He's a reverend in a Wesleyan church, I want to say in Kansas. I can't remember where, where it was, that part of it. But, but he made six points, and I want to touch on his six points this morning. Um, but I, when I read it, I was like, oh, it goes right with everything that's going on right here in the, in the center, the, the chewy center of, of this issue that Jesus is dealing with. Let's go ahead and read this real quick, because you guys probably haven't read it in a while, and maybe you have, but... I promise you this, Jesus shows up in Capernaum. And we talked about it. Capernaum means a comfortable village in the old Hebrew. In the newer transliterated 
English from the Greek, it means a jumbled up mess with no order. Jesus is showing up and he's, he's, he's going to deal with the comfort that's going on and he's going to deal with the problem that's going on in the background. So Mark chapter 1, uh, where are we at? Verse 21 down to verse uh, 28. Then they went into Capernaum. They went into the comfortable village, the mess with no order. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue, there was a man in their church, there was a man where they were practicing their religion, there was a man in their building. First of all, I want you to think about something as I get ready to read this here. Listen to this. There's a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out saying, let us alone. Number one, before I get to the let us alone, because he's dealing, that's a response to Jesus' presence. That's a response to the Holy Spirit's presence. This guy was among the quote-unquote religious. Walking around, behaving, misbehaving, in rebellion, everything going on because of this unclean spirit that was residing in him. And church just went on like normal. See a problem there? Church is just behaving like normal. we got to pass the offering plate. I mean, they don't necessarily do that in the synagogue. They would go and they would make their... Their, their depository or their, their offering or their sacrifice, whatever. But I'm just saying, if we contextualize this to, to our current day situation, everything's just going on like normal. Oh, we'll sing our three songs or our four songs and we'll, we'll, we'll give a missionary report. And Meanwhile, this guy is over here with an unclean spirit, supposedly in a place that's supposed to be ceremonially clean. Everybody in it is supposed to be ceremonially clean. They've all gone through the process of becoming ceremonially clean, religious. They've undergone the process of becoming religious, of meeting the standard, of meeting the requirements of the, of the place. And yet still amongst them is still this guy running around with this unclean spirit. And with it, you know, who knows what he was doing and saying. You can only imagine, right? Because the Bible doesn't tell us everything about it. But you can imagine. Guys, everything's out of order. You know, the, the rabbi's up there reading from the scroll, and this guy's back here dancing around, jumping around, screaming, making a scene. But nobody wants to deal with the issue in the room. I believe that what's going on right here, and, and as we read this, I want you to think about something. Think about sin. Think about the unclean spirit, right? Sin. I want you to think about sin as we continue to read this. It says, this is what the sin, uh, this is what the unclean spirit says, when Jesus shows up, because he's been acting out and he's been behaving, misbehaving the whole time. Every time they get together, this is what the, Holy, this is what the unclean spirit does. When Jesus shows up, first thing he says, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Did you come to destroy us? Don't you know we're comfortable here? We're in Capernaum. Yeah, we know this church is out of order, but we're good here. They're okay with me here. Nothing has to change because we're, we're, even though they're religious, they're not judgmental. We can't deal with these things. They won't, they won't touch me. They won't bother me. Look, they're all right with me. I must be just fine. What do, you, what do you got to do with me, Jesus? 
And that's how sin reacts when Jesus shows up. When the Holy Spirit shows up and tweaks your heart on something or pricks your heart on something and there's a sin that's undealt with in your life, what's the first thing that our flesh does is it bows up and it says, I don't have to change. There's nothing wrong with me. And nobody in this church can judge me. Nobody can say anything to me because the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. I, nobody can say anything. I'm just going to keep doing what I want. I'm going to live in adultery. I'm going to live in sin. I'm going to run around party all the time. I'm going to use the Lord's name in vain. I'm going to steal. I'm going to kill. I'm going to destroy. I'm going to do drugs. I'm going to destroy my life. And nobody can say nothing to me about it. But I'll go to church on Sunday because I want to feel good about it. That's what, that's what the enemy does. That's how sin responds to Jesus showing up. He says, you're the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and he said, Listen to this, I love it. It's like he's speaking to the storm. Be quiet and come out of him. Peace be still. And just like, just like the storm, the unclean spirit needed to respond. He didn't have a choice. His, his rebellious authority, his usurped authority that he had in that place, came face to face with God's authority. See, Jesus' authority wasn't delegated authority. See, because delegated authority is like Roger was in the Air Force and he held the highest rank of a non-commissioned officer, correct? I was an E-4. Roger had authority over me. Roger had a delegated authority over me. And I had to, uh, if, I been, if we would have been in the same place, I still would have had to respect his rank and I would have had to respond to it. But if a general shows up and Roger says, Tracy, go sweep the floor. And the general says, no. Sit down, I want to talk to you. I have to respond to the general and I have to disregard the delegated authority. Correct? That's, that, so just to paint a little visual for you here. And it, it, my usurped authority, I could have said, I'm not doing what you want me to do, Roger. I'm going to do whatever I want. You're not going to tell me what to do. The Army has a way of dealing with that. So does the Air Force. So does every branch of the military. And if I would have done that to the general, <laughs> it, it, you know, that's, that's different. You know, so you can, you, can, you can usurp authority and you can be rebellious and you can be in a place you're not supposed to be, behaving the way you're not supposed to be, and you can come against the, the, the delegated authority. And the delegated authority is a limited authority. But God's authority is full and complete. And when, when that usurped rebellious authority comes face to face with God, it has to change. And that's what happened right here. The delegated authority, the church had sat by and not done its job, and then when, when the, the ultimate authority showed up, that usurped rebellious authority was shut down. Sit. Shut up. Be quiet. Be still. Come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, listen, he's not going quietly. The sin... That, that you're dealing with, that your loved ones are dealing with, that, that, are, that is just running rampant. When Jesus deals with it, it's not always going to come out quietly. It's not going to come out without a fight. It's not going to leave without a fight. It's going to make some noise. It's going to rattle some tables. It's going gonna, it's gonna to shake some chairs, whatever. It's going to show up. It's going to manifest on its way out because it's still rebellious. It knows it, but the difference is it knows now it has no, no power. It has no authority over the ultimate authority. So it's going to make a big noise. It's going it's it's and it's going to be uncomfortable for everybody around him. It's going to be uncomfortable for everything. 
every situation you find yourself in because that's still being dealt with. But guess what? It's leaving. It's going away, amen? It's, it's, it's getting tossed out. And then it says, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? Wait, 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 wait. we don't have to deal with this? We, we don't have to put up with this? We know it's unacceptable, we know it's uncomfortable, and we've been just letting it slide, and we don't have to put up with this? See, they were being introduced to the real authority. And you know that when, when you realize that God is the real authority, that that, that, that loudmouth little unclean spirit in the corner or that little sin issue that you're dealing with does not run you, does not have any power over you, when it comes to that and you realize that, and you, you might think to yourself, what's, I've missed it. You know, and really, that's what these guys are saying. We've missed it. What's this new doctrine? We didn't know about this. We didn't know we had this kind of authority. We didn't know we could say to that. Be, you know, peace, be still. And Jesus dealt with his disciples teaching them. But I, I wonder, are these people that are talking, are they the people, are they, you know, the they? It doesn't tell you necessarily who the they are. Are they the disciples? Are they the, maybe there's two different they's. It's the congregation and the disciples, or it's just they all together. But the bottom line is, Jesus was showing them something new. This, this doesn't have to happen. This doesn't have to be acceptable. This doesn't have to be comfortable. This is a mess, and he's going to clean it up. Amen? Be quiet and come out of him. You know, sometimes maybe that's how we have to speak to the sin in our lives, or we need to speak to the sin in the lives of our loved ones. They're going to say, well, you can't judge me, and you're going to say, be quiet, and you're going to speak to the sin, and you're going to say, come out of him. Why? Because you have designated sorry, delegated authority over this thing. Because the Holy Spirit lives you, and greater is he that lives in me than lives in the world, that's in the world, amen? You need to understand that you have delegated authority. And delegated authority is more than just being the guy sitting in the chair holding the title, amen? Or the lady. Let's finish up here. So they're all amazed, so they question, what's this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame sped throughout the region around Galilee. Let me ask you something. When you, believe, when you begin to speak to a situation, when you begin to speak to the unclean spirit, the sin, the, the, the choices that are being made, the rebellion that's out there, when you begin to speak to those things, and lives begin to get changed, and you begin to glorify God because of doing that, his fame is going to spread, amen? And, you know, sometimes we talk about, I'll talk about, you know, we need to share our testimony. We need to share the truth about who God is. Guess what? You know how else that happens? When you speak to a situation, and people see that God dealt with it. When God dealt with the meth head who's, who's spent his whole life for the last 20 years doing meth and his teeth are falling out of his head and he's wrecked every relationship and he's cutting off catalytic converters and stealing from people to support his situation and he comes into a, an encounter with Jesus and his rebellious authority, meth-driven state, his unclean state, and, but he comes face-to-face -face with, face -face with Jesus. That might be, a, maybe that was a little Freudian slip, face-to-face. -face. When he comes face-to-face -face with Jesus, and God shows up 
And he doesn't even realize that he needs to be saved, that he needs to be healed, that he needs to be delivered. And Jesus shows up through somebody standing in the gap, interceding for him, getting in his face and not being afraid to love him because he doesn't look like me or he doesn't act like me. And you begin to show the love of Jesus to that person. And then you begin to speak into their life. And you begin to start saying, be clean, be quiet, come out of him. You begin to speak truths in love. And you see somebody's life change. Guess what? God is going to get glorified through that. The world may try to glorify you, but that's your opportunity to say, oh, no, not me. Not me. I'm just the delegated authority. It was the ultimate authority that delivered that person. Not me. You point to God. You glorify God through it. And it doesn't have to be a meth head. It can be your, your, your nephew who's, who's, you know, did a drive off from the gas station. Guess what? That's theft. That's a sin. It can be your, your uncle who's cheating on his wife and you can call him out and say, look, that's unclean. You, you, need, to, you need to be quiet about this. You need to, you need to, that needs to come out. It needs to be exposed and you need to be set free from it. You need to go back to your love, your, your wife. And you, you see what I mean? You can do these things in love without being judgmental. The first thing the Holy Spirit does in This is how God cleans up the mess. This is how God equips the church to deal with these things. So you might say, oh, I don't know how to do this. All right, we're going to hit on six things. All right, first thing that that God does, that the Holy Spirit does when he shows up in your life, he comes to give you power. This is the designated authority that God is laying out for you. He comes to give you power. Acts chapter chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, you are a nation with no borders all by yourself. When the Holy Spirit is in you, there is no border that can contain you. Amen? We already know the goal of the Holy Spirit's work is to make us more like Jesus. That's the ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit. Make us more like Jesus. But how does he do this? It's a process known as sanctification. Got to get clean. And it's not as complicated as it appears. Sanctification is the process of the Holy Spirit stripping away our sinful habits. This last week I've been, uh, while I was home at work waiting for my COVID negative test, I've been stripping away on a table. We have a table that someone was giving away and it, I looked at it and I hate the table we have in our dining room. My poor wife, she loves it. I hate it. But I saw this table and I was like, oh my gosh, it's a beautiful table. A couple of leaves, you know, so it spreads open and you can, be, you can put like probably seven or eight people around it. And um, I'm thinking, you know, Thanksgiving, it would, it would really be nice. And so I told her, we're going to go get this table. And it's been sitting in my garage all summer. And, and finally I was like, I'm going to go get the stuff. I tried sanding it. You know, that my efforts, my efforts to deal, I can't walk away from this because it won't hear everything. I've learned that by listening to the sermons during the week afterwards. But my efforts to, to clean up the problem with that old beautiful table was I had to go to some really coarse sandpaper. And no matter how hard I tried with that table and the sandpaper, I couldn't get everything off. I would try going with the grain, you know, like I remember learning in shop class, go with the grain because it'll, it'll get down in the crevices. And I was realizing that wasn't working. I was like, 
I'll just go against the grain, and when I'm all done, I'll, I'll finish sand it, and nobody will know anyways. So I tried doing nothing I did with the sandpaper, nothing I did by my own efforts worked. And I was really struggling. I was kind of getting a little angry about it because I tried with the sanding block, I tried with, um, I tried with my palm sander, you know, working on this thing. Tried and tried and tried every bit of my effort. Everything I knew how to do. And then I remembered somebody, t I remembered my friend John Winters. When I first met him, he had some furniture out behind his house. And I, first day I went over to his house, he's pouring this chemical all over this old chest of drawers. And I'm like, what are you doing? And boy, does that stink. Which, and he told me what he was doing. He was stripping the varnish off of it with this chemical. And that, which brought me to another story that I told my wife about. I'll tell all of you about it sometime. Just ask me about it. Um, it wasn't a good experience with stripping, running the stripping material. But what I, when I remembered how John told me, he said, well, it takes all the work out of it. Now, there's a, there's a lesson right there. When we stop doing everything we know how to do, rubbing on it with the sandpaper, and we just pour out what God's given us, Holy Spirit, we allow the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the situation. What I tried and tried and tried to do for three days was done in 15 minutes. All of that old varnish kind of bubbled up. Now, there was still residue there from the issue, from, from, this, from the, this varnish and this, this, this polyurethane and all the stuff that was on this wood. There was still residue of it, and it needed to be cleaned up, and it was kind of like this unclean spirit. You know, it's kicking and screaming, and I'm just getting the scraper into the bucket until I get it so it's gone. And you know what I did? You know what I did after that? I applied more of the varnish, more of the stripping material. I allowed the, you know, the story to go and start. The Holy Spirit came in and continued to do work. And you know what I found out was that there was still stuff that I didn't see that I had missed when I poured it out the first time. Now, God doesn't do that. God doesn't miss, okay? But it just speaks to the residue that's in our lives. Because if we don't go willingly along with what it is that God does, we try to hide certain things. We try to pull it back, and we try to push it where nobody can see it. Well, guess where all this residue was coming out of? It's coming out of the cracks, the places that were below the surface, the places that... Nobody could see, that I couldn't see. But you know what? God sees the unseen things in our lives, the things that we hide. And the Holy Spirit will continue to be at work in your life until those spaces get cleaned too. And he, then after he cleans those spaces, you know what he does? He comes in and he fills you back up. And he fills you in such a way that those old spaces that you used to try to hide stuff in and fill, those old hurts and those old relationships and those old whatevers, you filled them up with sin and, and drugs and drinking and sex and all these other things. That's just a few of them, by the way. That's not all of them. That's just a few of them. When the Holy Spirit comes in and does a work in your life and God begins to fill all those spirits, what you find is that God has everything you need to fill those places for good. Did I say spirits? I meant uh, crevices. God comes in and he fills all those places that you couldn't for all those years. And all the residue that was there is gone. See, because God can't live, the Holy Spirit cannot live in an unclean temple, Paul talked about. 
There's no space for him there. But when, when God does a work, God will come in and he'll clean it. Think about the man at Genesaret when Jesus and the disciples came across in that same story where it said peace, where Jesus said, peace be still. They're all freaking out about the storm and Jesus says, peace be still. And that's the enemy because Jesus was on his way to go speak to a man. He didn't, nobody knew it. Jesus knew it. Nobody knew it. Jesus was going to speak to that man in the cemetery. And all the elements went nuts. The, 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 the prince of the power of the air was having a fit. Jesus said, peace, be still. And he had to. And he came to shore and immediately saw the man who came out of the tombs with the chains on his arms. And when Jesus touched that man, when Jesus came into contact with that man, all the gunk came out. And he was clean. And, and, and everything that, that needed to be dealt with was dealt with in such a way that this man wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, go back to your family. But a changed life says, I want to follow Jesus. That's how God deals with unclean spirits. When God deals with an unclean spirit, the one who had the unclean spirit, all they want to do is follow Jesus. When they've been set free, they want to follow Jesus. So the Holy Spirit cleans us up. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is he gives us power to witness. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now, why don't you think about witnessing right now? And think about the things you deal with when you want to witness to somebody. The first thing you always deal with is either doubt or fear. Okay? He's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when you're witnessing, you remember, God's given me a spirit of power. He's given me a spirit of love. I'm doing this in love, not in condemnation or judgment, you know, being judgmental. And he's given me a sound mind. In other words, peace. Be still. Calm and quiet those, those negative voices or negative uh, thoughts. Calm those things. Jesus showed us how, amen? Peace, be still. Be quiet. Get out. This is God's house. There's no room for that kind of rebellion around here. All right? Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, and where the Holy Spirit is, there's no room for that counterfeit spirit. See, there was no room in that place when Jesus showed up for that counterfeit spirit, that unclean spirit. But you know what? You know what stayed? Do you know, do you know the unclean spirit ran away, but you know what didn't run away? The religion. You know why? Because religion doesn't, it doesn't know it's wrong. Religion just thinks it's right. And it sees no need to run away. Why? Because the delegated authority, when delegated authority sits still for too long, it thinks it's become the authority. And it doesn't want to deal with the real authority. So this is how God deals with, from an authority uh, standpoint with that. So he gives us power to witness. Just like Acts chapter 1 verse 8 mentions, the Holy Spirit empowers Christians to be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. He gives us the boldness to testify of the Lord for Jesus Christ in situations where we would normally be fearful or timid. I want you to ask yourself something the next time that you feel. Tell me. Tell me if I'm wrong. If I'm lying, I'm dying, but you tell me if I'm wrong. The moment the Holy, you come into contact with somebody, and God's, God like pricks your heart. I need to talk to this guy. 
I, I need to say something to this guy. That's the Holy Spirit. And um, the boldness is to overcome the fear and the doubt. Remind, remember that you've been given that, that spirit of power, that, that power and that love and that sound mind. We have an opportunity to respond. Not shrink back. Our, our, response, our carnal, our fleshly response, our religious response is to shrink back. Because religion only cares about itself. So we don't, need, we don't want to shrink back. We don't become fearful or timid. The power of the Holy Spirit gives us something that reflects in the natural as well as the supernatural. You know, that's what sets us apart. Remember I said there's no boundaries for you when the Holy Spirit is in you. You, you can go into a foreign country and they recognize the Holy Spirit. If I were to go to Botswana and visit my friend Logan and Shannon, who, by the way, are now in Botswana, they're settled, they're ministering every day, but if I were to go into Botswana, Holy Spirit recognizes Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter the boundaries, the nationality, the language barrier, none of that things. Holy Spirit recognizes Holy Spirit. So there's no borders for a person filled with the Holy Spirit. You can go anywhere and do anything because you are operating under the Almighty's authority. Amen? The power of the Holy Spirit gives us is something that reflects, as I said, natural as the, as the supernatural. He gives us power, love, and self-discipline or a sound mind. And power can be many things backed up by the Holy Spirit. It can be boldness to preach the gospel and power to perform healing miracles and love given by the Holy Spirit is obvious when we have the heart to love others the way Jesus would. Some people, you try to love on them, they think, oh, this person's weird. But when it's genuinely true and it's of the Holy Spirit, do you know that you can't resist that kind of love? That kind of love changes people. That kind of love gets down in the gooey crevices where stuff, the dirty stuff is stored. And, and it, it doesn't attack, but it approaches people. And it works. It's like goo gone. Gets on them and it gets the ugly stuff out. That's what the Holy Spirit is like. He's like goo gone. I tell you, don't quote me on it, but now it's recorded, so... <clears throat> <clears throat> the self-discipline that's given by the Holy Spirit allows a person to follow through on God's will and have wisdom throughout life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is a Swiss army knife that you take with you everywhere for every situation. There's not a situation that the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you can't handle. You struggle with doubt and insecurity and fear and everything else, and guess what? The Holy Spirit doesn't deal with that. He doesn't, he doesn't deal with those things. He is uniquely prepared to deal with every situation you find yourself in. Now, I have friends in my life that I can call on. If I needed advice in certain things, I'll call Roger for, for advice because I know that Roger's going to give me some good advice. If I need to fix something or if I'm dealing with something on my boat, I call my friend Kevin. If, if, if I need to... Um, redneck something up, I call my brother, Curtis. If I need to laugh, if I need to be encouraged, I call my brother, Bill, because he's funny. I have, I, can, I have people I can lean on for certain things, but I have the Holy Spirit who's all of those things to I me. Mean, you know that if I don't know how to fix my boat, I can ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, I don't, 
know about boat engines, but can you show me how to fix this? Now, if I'd have done that last year, I would have saved myself a lot of headaches. But I had a friend who came along and said, hey, well, it's this. Pulled the fuse out, put a new fuse in, took right off. I was like, okay, cool. But what if I had stopped and said, Holy Spirit, I need direction. I could have done away with some of the other stuff that, you know, fear and, oh, my gosh, did I buy a lemon? Did I buy something that was, I shouldn't have bought that I didn't have checked out properly? I, oh, I've made such a mistake, and I begin to go down that rabbit trail. Well, I could have avoided it all. Remember what I said? I'm not, a, I'm not, a, um, not like an expert on this stuff. Showing myself. <laughs> if we ask the Holy Spirit, he, he, he'll always be with us. He'll always help us. He'll always point us in the right direction. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not recalculating like, like, like our GPS on our vehicle. Oh, find a different route. We'll find a different route. No. His route is still the same, still true. The third thing the Holy Spirit does is he guides us into all truth. One beautiful title that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. Take John chapter 16, 13. It says, when the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not, he will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. How can the Holy Spirit do that? Because he's been with, he's, he's, he's present with God. And he's seen the future. He's seen it all. He's heard the things that God has spoken. And he only speaks those things. He doesn't speak about the, the murmuring over here. He doesn't speak, you know, as he's getting advice from the one who's complaining. He's getting advice from the one who created it all. And he's displaying that to us. Holy Spirit does that. You know, somebody said, I saw something, a church sign one time that says, we have the answers that Google doesn't. That's the Holy Spirit. He has the answers that Google doesn't. So the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. What Jesus is telling us is that we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. He will guide us in the direction we need to go. Many believers lack direction because we won't stop and ask for directions. If you're a man, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a woman, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit will not leave us confused, but will reveal the truth to us. He illuminates the dark areas of our lives to give us a clear vision of God's purpose for us. In 1 Corinthians 14, 13, it says, For God is not the God of confusion, but peace. As in all the churches... And all the saints. He is the God of peace. God is not the God of a denomination. God is not the God of division. God is not the God of any of those things. He is the God of peace. The Holy Spirit is our leader, and those who follow him are his sons and daughters. Romans 8, 14 and 16 says, For all who are led, for all who are led, that means some of us get lost. We'll get lost on our own. For all who are led, by the Spirit of God, our children of God, of God. So, Shelley used to say, following the leader, the leader. She has a real childlike, simplistic faith in that, being led by God. We need to follow the leader. Amen? We need to be led. We need to follow. Some of us want to get out in front. 
I know who you are. I've seen you in traffic. You tailgate me for five miles, you pass me, and then you don't go any faster when you get in front. You just got to be in front. Anybody know anybody like that? Yeah. Police. In their police car. They come up and they, I, what are they doing, Nate, when they're following behind me? They're checking my plate, aren't they? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <clears throat> but they get behind you and then they, they get around in front of you. And then they'll slow down. You know why? Because ain't nobody passing the cop. The fourth thing the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us of sin. This is the touchy issue right here. Conviction. Because when the Holy Spirit's working, and he's working through another person who's speaking into your life, we see the Holy Spirit's conviction, or the Holy Spirit's work coming through this person as judgment. Not the work of the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit's not alive and working in you, he's still alive and working through somebody else. And if that person is overcoming their, their spirit of fear and timidity and bringing about their, 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 their uh, power and their love and sound mind, if they're bringing that into your situation, the unclean spirit in you is going to start shaking things up and, and causing there to be problems because he doesn't want to hear that because he's going to say, oh, that's you. you're just being judgmental. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Since the Holy Spirit is working to make us like Jesus, he convicts us of our sin. Oh, was I talking about somebody else when I said that? No, I was talking about us. When the Holy Spirit, do you know that as a believer, as we're contemplating the idea of sin, as we're you know, stirring the pot up here with ideas of, of ooh, that, that might be a good idea. I, I could do that. I could get away with it. Nobody would even know if I did that. And then you start thinking of ways to do it. And then you perfect the way to do it. And then you actually go out and do it. James talks about it. That's the way to death. How sin works. It starts with a thought. And it works and it works and it works. And the end of it is death. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is trying to keep us from death. The Holy Spirit is like the ultimate paramedic. He comes in with his hemostats and he comes in with his gauze and he comes in with, with his clotting agents to, to stop us from bleeding to death. From self-inflicted wounds called sin. Sin is something that always offends God. And it holds us back. We wonder, why aren't we seeing the miraculous in our life? I'm, and I'm talking to the church, not just the non-church. But why aren't we seeing the miraculous? What's keeping us from growing? What's, why aren't we experiencing more, experiencing more of God's presence? If we have sin, which we do... We will bring those sins to our, the Holy Spirit will bring those sins to our attention. Sometimes we'll just try to ignore them. We'll have the thoughts, we'll start thinking about it, we'll start plotting on it, and then we'll put it down for a little while. We don't put it away, we don't get rid of it, we'll just set it down for another for a more convenient time. But the Holy Spirit is never stopping dealing with even the things we put down. Because he wants to clean us up. He wants to save our lives. He wants to stop the bleeding. Listen, Jesus did all the bleeding that's necessary. Amen? But he, the Holy Spirit wants to stop the bleeding that we're doing in our lives, the self-inflicted wounds that we put on ourselves. Sorry, I know this is long, but that's just the way it is. I was going to be short, but no. What? You think I should? Move closer. Move closer. 
I'm going to echo this statement. Conviction is your best friend. If we stop feeling conviction, then we have bigger problems. The Bible talks about a seared heart, a seared conscience. What's that mean? That means nothing on the outside can get in and nothing on the outside can get out. You know, I like my steak seared, but I don't like my heart seared. I need to be pliable. I need to be able to be broken. John 16, 8 says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The conviction also comes before the sin happens. You hear me? Before this, if, if the Holy Spirit is like, don't say that to the pastor. Just kidding. But you should listen. Don't say that to your loved ones in this situation you're dealing with. Don't, don't give it space. You know, the Holy Spirit says it, you don't say it, right? You just got to kind of back off. But it's more than that. It's more than not saying it. It's because he's telling us not to say it, we should get rid of it. The thought has to go away. The planning has to go away. You know what else has to go away? The hurt has to go away. The unforgiveness. See, the Holy Spirit deals with the problem, and then he starts digging down, drilling down, finding the root of the problem, getting to the very, very bottom of that place where it started as just a seed or a thought, and he cleans it out, and he gets everything. He gets everything, but we have to give it to him, and we have to respond when the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit will start to tap on your heart once temptation comes. And it's our responsibility to respond to that conviction. Temptation in itself is not a sin. Jesus was tempted, and yet he did not sin. The Bible tells us that. He was tempted in every manner, but he didn't sin. You know why? Because he was filled, because he was Holy Spirit, he was God. There was no room for sin in his life. There was no in for sin. No room at the end. Giving in to temptation is what brings sin. The Holy Spirit will nudge your heart before you make a move. Listen to him and don't miss the nudge. Sometimes we can miss the nudge when our emotions get involved and we, we're hurt or we get angry. We'll miss the nudge. Or we're tired. And we fall asleep in church. And the Holy Spirit's saying, you got to hear this. We'll miss the nudge. Number five, the Holy Spirit reveals God's word to us. I had a conversation. Sue and I were talking on the phone this week, and we were talking about the word of God. And, and um, you can have all the learning in the world with the, with the Bible. You can have, we had, uh, we had our, um, our, our, our concordance open. We had our um, um, strongs. So we were looking at the meaning of some words and talking about the meaning of some words. And at the very end, she says, Yep, we have all that, but what we need most of all is the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? In the end, we're getting man's learned opinion. In, this, in essence, we're getting religion. We're learning how to think the way that, that has always been thought concerning the things that have always been a concern. But without the Holy Spirit, it's not complete. Because the Holy Spirit will, will confirm what's true and right. 
through his word. All right? Some of us are unteachable. Nobody can teach us anything. I've been there. I struggled with it my whole life. Because I, I used to think my way is the right way and my way is the only way. Guess what? I found out. It's not and I'm not. And, um, but when the Holy Spirit teaches you something, that's something that nobody can ever take away from you. The problem is, is you can't convince that somebody of that truth because the Holy Spirit has not revealed it to them. And that's a fight that only the Holy Spirit can win. That's why Paul said, cast down your, your arguments concerning the word. Nothing good's going to come of it. It's not a good hill to die on. Because unless the Holy Spirit has revealed it to both people, the one who is filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever side it happens to be on, is it, when you get in your flesh, especially over it, because we can get in our flesh over the things of the Spirit. Do you know that? We get in our flesh over it. And we're never going to convince the other person because the Holy Spirit's not yet revealed it to them. So it's a fruitless fight, and all we end up doing is making it causing a division, causing a fight. Showing our religion or something else, as we used to say in the neighborhood. <clears throat> what? Okay. <laughs> I got to ask now, because every time you make a noise, I think you're talking to me. <laughs> um, Jesus walked on this earth, and he taught everywhere that he went. I remember when I was a kid, my grandpa used to say, Tracy, if you don't learn something new every day, you're not paying attention. Jesus gave that opportunity every day that he walked this earth was the ability to teach us something new through his word. I didn't know five weeks ago that Capernaum meant what it means. I know that names mean stuff, but unless you go and look and see what it means, why was it named that? Well, for a couple of good reasons. And now that opens up a whole can of worms that Jesus is teaching, the Holy Spirit is teaching me through something so trivial as a name. And he's changing my life because of it. I hope he's changing your life as a result of it. Jesus taught everywhere. And since he's not here physically, as we said, he's not coming through the doors to teach us anything. If Jesus comes through the doors, he's coming to judge. You done, the teaching time's over. We live in a world that's, that's uh, hurtling toward that moment where teaching time is going to be over. That's why the, 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 the power, love, and a sound mind is so important to us. Because if we live in timidity, we're going to miss it too. We're going to miss the mark. If us living in timidity is sin, us living fearfully of, of revealing who we are through Jesus Christ or who he is and wants to be in their life, us doing that, that's, uh, us refusing that, that's sin. The Bible itself is complete and trustworthy, it says, but impossible to understand without the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's just a book. It's just a book. And then the minute it's just a book, you can find reasons to disagree with it because if it's just a book, it's only opinion. But if we would submit to the authority that all Scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking and re exhorting and, and, and causing the man of God to be complete and full. Correcting, exhorting. 
That's the problem with dealing with a whole bunch of different um, translations of the Bible. I, there's four things it says, but I've got like 12 in my head. <laughs> but, you know, when you use New Living Translation and the King James and the New King James, that'll happen. But the bottom line is, this is what you need to know, is God's Word is trustworthy. And it will cause changes to happen in your life. Good changes and changes that are uncomfortable. Changes that are going to bring about change not only in your life, but in the lives of people around you. It's going to change your way of thinking. It's going to change the things that you used to agree with. It's going to teach you how to deal with people. The Word of God teaches that. You know what? When you come against somebody that wants to you know, cuss at you and run their mouth at you, you, know, you don't have to respond in anger. Jesus said you can turn the other cheek. You can be meek. Do you know what meekness is? Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Jesus could have stopped the whole shooting match on Calvary that day with a word, and he didn't. That's meekness. That's power under control. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us what to do is right. The Holy Spirit teaches and reveals the meaning of Scripture to Christians the way that Jesus would. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Isn't it funny? People come up and say, Oh, you know, you remember in Jesus' word where it says that um, um, God helps those who help themselves? It doesn't take the Holy Spirit to remind you that that was Ben Franklin, not, not Jesus, right? But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, even if you didn't know Ben Franklin said that, if the Spirit of God is living in you and you're a brand new baby Christian and you hear that, you're going to say, well, Jesus didn't say that. The Word of God doesn't say Jesus said that, even if you don't necessarily know it, because the Holy Spirit can reveal that to you if you'll listen. And that's just a simple thing. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, somebody's not sleeping. Somebody's not coming forward. I know, because you were being a Martha. That's right. That's right. Right, right. Absolutely. So the Holy Spirit will reveal things to you that you don't know. I don't know. And I'm going to tell you something. I sat right, sorry. I sat right there in that pew right there. And when God said that, I was like, mm -mm, nope, I've never done that before, Lord. I have never said somebody in this audience, would I remember what I, you know what I thought of? I thought of every time I've ever seen a church service where somebody said, somebody in this room is dealing with an ingrown toenail. And seven arms shoot up. And it's, you know, or, you know, whatever. And, and you see how sometimes these charlatans do things. So when the, when the Holy Spirit dropped that in my spirit, sitting in that pew, I was like, mm -mm, nope, nope, that's, just, that's fear and timidity. But I remember he gave me a, this power and love and a sound mind. And my love enabled me to respond because of my love for God. Because of my love for somebody who hadn't given it a thought. Or maybe it was so tired he hadn't, you know, it wasn't the forefront of his mind, whatever it is. I'm going to respond out of obedience to God and the delegated authority that I have to speak to the unclean thing, which is a lack of sleep. Okay? So I'm just going to put that aside. God can't lie. 
The Holy Spirit cannot lie to you. He only confirms. Okay? And finally, for all of you that are still waiting, who are still awake, bearing through, bearing with me, the Holy Spirit brings us closer to other believers. Remember I talked about unity earlier. Unity for the sake of unity is garbage. Going along to get along, that's garbage. Do you know that you can, you can all have the same mission and still not agree with how to get there? You know that? There's only one place that there is only one designated way to get there. No man can get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And there is no other way to heaven except through Jesus and him crucified. Amen? It's the only place that the directions for getting there are, are without argument. Every other thing that, that, that comes up in the body of Christ, there's ways to get there. Ways to get through something that, to get to that goal or that end. Okay? The unity brought by the Holy Spirit is revealed in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, where it says, All of the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. I look at it like this. Everything we have is on loan from God. Rush Limbaugh used to say, talent on loan from God. I used to always laugh when I'd hear him say that. But everything that we have is on loan from God. My paycheck is on loan from God. This church building we're in is on loan from God. The house that you live in is on loan from God. You know the mortgage company can say, well, you haven't made your payment. In 13 months, we're taking your house. You could be like, yes, I have. No, you haven't. And you can argue, yes, I have. But if they believe you haven't, they have a legal right to pursue a means to take that back from you. But you know what? Because if we give it to God first, if we recognize that it's God's first, there's not a hand that can touch it and take it unless he allows it because it's his. All my mortgage payments are on time, by the way. Don't worry about that. I'm not like giving some weird, weird thing, but... The bottom line is we have to recognize everything we have is, is on loan from God. Okay? Body. Your body. Yeah, at any time God can say, you're done. Cool. Right, yeah. That old song pops in my head. So you had a bad day. <laughs> uh, I don't remember who sings that, but it just makes you think. In Acts 4.32, it says all the believers were united. So, as I said, so they shared everything that they had. The book of Acts describes the early church after receiving the Holy Spirit. It was the very Holy Spirit of God that brought about this kind of unity. We can make rules for our club, and as long as everybody adheres to the rules, they have unity. But the minute somebody goes against the rules of the club, there's disunity. And then there's a problem. I'm going to go start my own club, like I talked about earlier about denominations. We're going to, you want us to pay for our pews? We're not going to pay for our pews. We'll just be a different kind of church that doesn't pay for our pews. But we all think the same, but we just have an argument over a thing. Right? So let's not have unity for the sake of having unity on things. Let's, that's, that's making something happen. Let's have unity because the evidence of the Holy Spirit is at work and prescribes it. This is the unity that we need in the body of Christ today. Every church needs it. 
No matter the denomination, every church needs that. If we draw near to the Holy Spirit, we, He will place love in our hearts for our brothers and sisters and we'll be compelled to unite. Instead of being reflected or, or being repulsed by our, by our different ideas, we'll be compelled to unite to come together. Because the Holy Spirit's in us. We can't resist the Holy Spirit. I promise you, you may not like me, but if the Holy Spirit wasn't in you and wasn't in me, you would hate me. Because the Holy Spirit allows for my sarcasm in your life when I make little remarks that are playful, but aren't always timely, (laughs) aren't always the best. But that Holy Spirit that lives in you and lives in me allows for that. It allows for mistakes and, and, and dumb things. And the Holy Spirit allows for the mending of a relationship when our flesh gets involved. The Holy Spirit knows these things and he looks to bring about the power in the church that we Christians need to dedicate more time to understand. We need to understand the biblical scriptures about unity and apply them to our everyday lives. Not just here in church, not just because the pastor said so or because of a sermon. Biblical unity has to be evident in our lives. Biblical unity can... can can cross denominational lines. Biblical unity can cross secular lines. I know I have a better relationship with other believers than I do with non-believers. Even my, the family that I love, my brothers that I love so dearly, my mom that I love so dearly, I'm seeing God working in their lives a little at a time. And for me, it's exciting because I recognize Jehovah Sneakies at work. I'm excited about that. But I have a better relationship with people that I share fellowship with in Christ. And so I enjoy that. I look forward to the day when I can enjoy the relationship with the people that, sorry, that I love most that aren't serving God. Because that's going to make that relationship even stronger. That's going to bring about unity that, that I've never had before, that I've never shared before. I look forward to that. I'm just making sure I didn't miss anything. We need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit here today in our church. If he's not present, we have a lack in every spiritual thing in our lives. There's nothing worthy in our lives without fruit. Fruit, If the fruit is not present without the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, fruit is not present without the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit. You want, you want to see a mess? See people trying to practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit. You'll see a mess. There are people who exercise um, shavings of the gifts of the Spirit, but don't have the Spirit of God. There are people who are joyful, 
naturally joyful, but they don't have the spirit, the spirit of God in them, so they, they don't have joy like they could have it. Amen? So they, they have a little, but they don't have all of it. So, where the church is dead concerning the Holy Spirit, sin resides. Sickness resides. Depression resides. Oppression resides. Lack resides. Every evil spirit resides. Religion resides. And lives right alongside of all of them. Where there's no repentance, the spirit cannot reside. And that's what I want to leave you with this morning. I talked about unrepentance last week a lot. Or maybe it was the week before. But where, where unrepentance is, the spirit can't live. Where unrepentance is, the spirit won't work. Where unrepentance is, that unclean spirit is always there. That sin is always undealt with. But when Jesus shows up, the Spirit knows it before He opens His mouth. When the Holy Spirit shows up, that Spirit knows it before you utter a thing. And He's already getting ready to make noise on His way out. Amen? you got to know that this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we, we thank You for for what your word tells us about 